Hey everyone, welcome to the Digital Adoption Show by Wattfix. And uh, as you might already know, we are those folks who practice and preach a lot about digital adoption. And in this podcast, we bring to you the thought leaders who help organizations upskill their human resources, train them, and we discuss with them on how they have successfully helped ensure a seamless digital adoption and learning experience. I'm your host, Gokul Suresh from Wattfix, and it's my pleasure today to welcome our guest, Dr. Jerry Zanstra. Dr. Zanstra is the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Innoversity, a Michigan-based learning agency which works with companies worldwide on creating custom digital learning experience. And he has been with Innoversity since its inception about a decade ago and uh, is also a professor of economics and an ordained minister in the Christian Reformed Church. Dr. Zanstra, or if I may, Jerry, welcome to the Digital Adoption Show. Really Thank you, Gokul. And uh, Jer- Jerry is just fine. Yeah, that, that's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be more convenient, <laughs> right? And so, <laughs> perfect. So, well, welcome to the show, Jerry. And, you know, before we start off with the podcast, I'd, I'd love to learn more about you from yourself, right? So, could you, could you give me a brief introduction for me and the audience? Certainly. Much of my career has been in, in academics. I have two master's degrees and, and two doctorates. So, I've spent, <laughs> spent a ridiculous amount of time attempting to learn things. And uh, we founded Innoversity with my partner who had spent about 20 years in IT. And so we figured between my academic background and his IT background, we should be able to make a dent in the universe as far as digital learning. For myself, I am married. My wife and I have three sons. They are all grown. Two of them are married and uh, the joy of our life is our eight-year-old granddaughter. So we have, we have a very good life. Our life is full of a lot of opportunities to learn and a lot of joy. So a lifelong learner, right, Jerry? <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I knew at one point I was, I was completing a, a, a PhD and I was doing homework and my children were also in doing their homework in high school. And I thought, I think my wife looked at me, Gokul, and said, okay, enough now already. And so that, but yeah, I, I've been a lifelong learner. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Happy for you, Jerry. So let's get into the university part, right? So what about university? Mm-hmm. How are you guys doing? Or, you know, what all, what all do you guys do? Yeah. So our core mission is really, and, and you're going to hear me say this over and over and over again, our, our core mission is, is to create a learning experience. It's for, for us and for, for the folks at Innoversity, we are about 50 strong now. It, it is all about a world-class learning experience. And to do that, we use exceptional creativity. Our artists are uh, top flight. We use the very best of learning science. So we have some great people that are instructional designers and and are people who build learning experiences. And then we use uh, innovative technology. And so we work with uh, some of the largest companies in the world. We work all around the world. We We have worked in 20 different languages. We have built animations, videos, augmented reality, virtual reality, and, you know, instructionally designed learning experiences, in-person learning experiences. And it's, we've, we've just had the joy of, of thousands and thousands of projects in our history. And it's been fun to see my co-founder and I, Mark, sort of have this idea. And it's, it's actually our anniversary, April 15th. Yeah. And that's tax day in the United States. I don't know why we picked that as as our (laughs) anniversary date, but we did. But uh, yeah. And and so to see from where we started in the technology and and what we knew at the time 
to where the technology has grown today and 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 the team that we have who are all far smarter than we are it it it's just it's so fun to to, to watch what kind of learning experiences we're able to create so we hope in the end that we can transform and power and inspire learners around the world and and uh, thank goodness that we've had a, an opportunity to do just that mm-hmm. yeah and, uh, you know first of all congrats on the 10 years i mean it's it's definitely an incredible journey it is thank you yeah so i'm really curious now so let's say in the last 10 years so much has changed in learning and development itself right mm. so how did you guys pick up and you know get acclimated with the different changes which came in the it's interesting the learning science itself has not changed that much so the the understanding of how a human being learns has not really changed that much the the tremendous changes have come obviously in in technology and so you know things that are available and possible today weren't even possible 10 years ago and in addition to that there were there were things that you might have been able to do 5 years ago but it would cost you a half a million dollars to do that today that 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 technology the te- the learning technology has advanced in in wonderful wonderful ways and we went sort of 10 years ago from wow i think we could teach this digitally to i think we can actually give a learner a better experience through digital learning in other words digital learning has caught up and in some ways exceeded even in person training it D- depends on the topic of course but but the opportunities that we have now and, and the things that we see coming uh down the pipe with things like artificial intelligence and we we've written a tremendous amount about game theory and 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 how we build games and how artificial intelligence plays into that and how that gives a learner a particular experience those are just phenomenal technological advances and we take advantage of every one of them mm-hmm. and so in this learning experience this in module you know let's say different parts moving parts particularly right so how do you weave them together for i mean definitely for each organization it'll keep changing but you know ultimately mm-hmm. what's the thought process that goes into it weaving them together into a experience that actually makes a lot more sense yeah so where we begin and we always begin in the same uh spot we begin with looking at a needs analysis and 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 then we come to what are your learning objectives in other words what will the learners be able to and this is an expression we use all the time what will the learners know or do or believe at the end of their learning experience and so we we talk about those as sort of the three buckets of learning objectives and so it it part of that is is sorting it out what do you want them to know what do you want someone to be able to do so skill based or what do you want someone to believe in other words to embrace so you're going to have a new mission or you're going to go in a different direction you you need the people that are on your team to embrace that idea and the way that they embrace that is through a learning experience and so it it all depends on on what kind of learning objective you have that will help determine the learning experience that you get so if you think google it there's something you want to look up on youtube you're trying to fix the plumbing in your house right and i hope that's not the case for you but let's say that you are and you're trying to put a washer in and you're not sure which way it goes it's a wonderful 
to be able to look up uh, a video, to be able to see someone else who's done it. They might be a master plumber. And the, the thing is, at that moment, I don't need all the history of plumbing. I don't need you to go back to the Roman Empire. I don't need you to talk about all of the theory or plastics or mechanics part of plumbing. I just need to know how to put this washer in, in this moment right now. That is that just in time, sort of that lean manufacturing concept is, is so fantastic that we can learn in that moment. And so sometimes for our clients, we need to create the opportunity for their learners to learn just in time, in the moment, they get what they need, they get it immediately, they don't have to search for it, and they don't have to find the 30-second the you know, jewel in 20 minutes of learning, they can find what they need immediately. Sometimes the learning experience, really great learning experiences for me anyway, and this is a big word to me, this is a kind of a personal thing, but curiosity. I really want our learners to either have their curiosity answered or to drive their curiosity to marvelous things happen when, when, when people get curious, they start to wonder, they start to ruminate, they start to think, they start to consider. And so if you can get somebody curious, just wondering about something, that is a powerful, powerful driver. Yeah, totally agree. And in fact, uh, with, with the advancement of, you know, the social networks and the, the type of media that we have right now, I think mm. we learn something or the other every day, right? So, so it, yeah. it, it, it's just being curious there. Yeah. It, it is, but that curiosity can now be fed by instant information. It can be fed by an experiential component to learning when it, where I'm doing augmented reality or virtual reality. It can be fed by artificial intelligence. It can all be creative and, and beautiful and, and aesthetically pleasing. And if you can pull all, and, and still all built on solid learning theory, if you can pull aesthetics and theory and technology together, I'd, I'd say you're, you're, you're Steve Jobs. I mean, if you <laughs> could pull those things together mm -hmm. uh, in a learning experience, that, that really is the key, is, is, is getting those three components to work together in a learning experience that, you know, answers and drives curiosity in a learning, in, in a learner. Yeah. And, uh, but Jerry, so let's say each person has a different style of learning. I mean, different pace different time to learn and, uh, you know, different ways they absorb the content over there. So how do you deal with, you know, such a case where, you know, you have to meet everybody's needs, but you have to deliver it in a way that uh, it's comfortable for them? You do. You can certainly give learners options. And, and again, after you've decided, you know, the very first question is, what do you want the learner to be able to know, do, or believe at the end, right? The, the, that's the first question. The second question is, who is that learner? Mm -hmm. And you need to know that it, sometimes learning teams get stuck on thinking the learning is about the team that is creating the learning and you lose focus of, of the, of the end user of the actual, that's the person on whom you want to have an impact. And so you, you have to spend a lot of time thinking about the learners. What, what is their experience? What is their current depth of knowledge? And you have a 22-year-old who has one year of experience sitting next to somebody who is uh, a 22-year-old veteran at the company, right? <laughs> uh, who has yeah. been doing that job before that 22-year-old was born. And you have to train and, and, and you have to give both of those people an opportunity to learn. So, you know, we, we use techniques like allowing a person to 
do pretests and test out of things because there's nothing more boring than learning what you already know. I would actually argue you're probably not learning anything at that point <laughs> because you already know it. And you want to always give people an opportunity to dive deeper if they, if they want to. So I don't know if you've ever been stuck in a Wikipedia hole, but you start to look up <laughs> Queen Elizabeth the first and pretty soon, right? Oh, yeah. you're, right. And, and two hours went by and, and you, you don't even know what happened. Right. But, but that Wikipedia is giving you an opportunity just to dive into another subject. Things are highlighted, how to learn more. And, and so if you can get people to start where they are in the level in which they are, and then give them the opportunity to explore, which is getting back to curiosity. We, you, you can do this. And, and some of the organizations we deal with have, you know, more than 200,000 employees. Mm -hmm. And so, but there are some powerful technical tools, again, things that weren't available to us a long time ago that really help us get at and track who are those learners? Where are they? What are their language issues? What is their background? What is their education? And, and so on. And the more granular we can get there, the, the better we can serve learners. Understood. And so then there are a lot of ways of learning as well, right? Now you said VR, AR, learning in the flow of work. That's that's something which is a buzzword which keeps on coming up. Then, you know, yes. the whole e-learning aspect. Now, how do you decide what mix should we keep? Right. I mean, there is, I mean, everything has a pro and con over there. So like, how do you actually decide which is the better ways to go for a particular organization? Uh, that goes back to the needs analysis. And so we, we, you know, we have a kickoff meeting and, and it's funny because sometimes our clients want to jump right into building. And the analogy that we often use is that if you're going to end up with a great home, you need to start with a great blueprint. If you start with no blueprint and a pile of wood, <clears throat> you're not going to be happy at the end. And so that, that blueprinting process, we do an enormous amount of what we call curriculum mapping. We, we do that. We do it for every single client that we have. We do a needs analysis so that we understand what types of learners they have. And then, you know, depending on the types of learners, we will give them a variety of different experiences. You know, somebody who is my age at 56 is going to learn very differently than somebody who is uh, 26. And what that person grew up with and what I grew up, I grew up with books. You know, there it was books and movies, right? That's it. Mm -hmm. And the 26-year-old has grown up with, many, many fewer books, but many, many more opportunities and a whole variety of ways to learn. And so, you know, age differences have to be accounted for and giving people different experiences that will fit for them. I often learn best still because of my childhood with a physical book. I like mm -hmm. paper. I like the feel of a book. My my boys are not that way. My children are that, not that way. They consume knowledge very differently than I do. Got it. And yeah, I mean, I, I can totally relate to that. Even I, I think although I enjoy books, um, yeah, I, I watch a lot of videos to consume content. So that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's my way of consuming content, I guess. Absolutely. Yep. And, and all of the, you know, everybody that has their own preferred style says mine's the best, but that's not true. If you're, if you're <laughs> getting a learning experience and my learning experiences, I read a book and I read it very, very slowly. I'll read a few sentences and then I close the book and think about it. That's my learning experience. Your learning experience is very different. And so, you know, anybody who's going to train the two of us has to understand both of our backgrounds and, and our needs and design that experience to fit the person. Great. And so 
in an organizational standpoint now maybe could you help me understand how do you generally uh, go about setting up all these different processes there let's say uh, m- maybe it could be a case study from you know how you guys had we have done an implementation right so how do you pan it out how does the entire process go like most most very large companies have a database of their employees and so we can take a scattering of of their you know of their data and and figure out at what level and so on oftentimes it's it's us pulling that information out of a learning team at a very large corporation or you know it's a little easier we do we do a lot of university work mm-hmm. and uh, so we build a lot of digital uh, learning for universities that's easier because the demographic is fairly fixed, right? These are young people that have graduated from high school. They mm-hmm. are at a university. We know that they might be in their third year uh, at university. We know that they might be nursing majors. Okay, so you know the, the field gets very narrow. It's very different when you want to create something, you know, we've created an enormous leadership program that will go from literally the C-suite all the way down to emerging leaders. And so you, you have to vary the experience. And so you, you build different levels and you build different opportunities for them. And you build different pathways for them because they're, they're, they're going, you know, a C-suite person is not going to want to take a leadership, maybe they should, but they're not going to want to take a leadership 101 course. You know, they, they might need something far more advanced. And so knowing your learners and learning who they are it takes work, but once you've done that, the payoff is enormous. Understood. And you know, we address the case of software adoption generally. That's that's what WhatFix does, and mm-hmm. uh, we are always curious about how people tackle it. When you when it comes to larger organizations, there'll be a lot of enterprise applications that they use, and generally these are really complex. I mean, they are much needed, but they're really complex to use, right? Mm-hmm. So, and you did mention about you know learning at the moment of need. How, how do you emphasize on that when it comes to a software setup? Or um, the way you yeah, so so for a software setup, we we would very likely again having once we've gone through the needs assessment and understood what the need is, we might recommend things like micro learning. Micro learning is wonderful. It's a bit of a buzzword, but I don't even like the word buzzword because that's kind <laughs> of a buzzword. But the the idea of of small bite sized pieces of information delivered just in time when you need them. If you put me if you put me through a two-hour course on a new piece of software, that's probably not my ideal <laughs> learning experience, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But if you hand me the software and you allow me to play with it and I've got prompts uh, that will help me take the next step or I have a question or I can search for something. In other words, you're, you're, you're feeding me and, and you can, in the two hour session, you're going to push information toward me in the time of me just messing around with it and learning it on my own. I'm going to pull out the information that I need. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's a very strong and powerful learning experience when you're able to pull rather than have things pushed at you. Now, that's not always the case. There are some safety things that people don't think about and they don't care about until somebody gets injured. Those might be things you need to, to push. Though you need to make their compliance things, bloodborne pathogens and high-low training and things like that, where, look, people need to take this every year. They need to be familiar with the processes and procedures and then, you know, 
then then they can move on. But the higher level functioning things like believe, you know, for for believe and 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 things where you want somebody to embrace a, a new set of ideas, you might need to build scenarios. They might need to make uh, decisions, and those decisions have real life consequences. You might need to build a game for them to play. I'm writing an ebook right now on, on what it takes to actually build a true game. Mm-hmm. And the scenario that I'm using is uh, this company is trying to create financial uh, literacy among everybody at the company. And so in, in the fictitious story that I'm writing, they've tried a couple of, they, they brought everybody together and that really hasn't stuck. And so we're, we're going to build them a game. And it's like a very complex version of Monopoly. You make decisions today and they have implications for later on profitability and on market share and on research and development and so on. We're in the middle of building an actual game right now, very similar to what I'm describing for a company out of Europe, because they want their people to to understand day-to-day decisions and how they connect to the overall financial goals of the company. So that that's how we do that. We we build, you know, we we build the learning experiences custom to the sought after objective and, and outcome. So do you think that traditional learning methodologies, right? I mean, like say the instructor-led learning or, you know, the ones from documentation. Now, definitely there's so many things that has come after that and the capacity or the appetite for learners also has changed over time. So do they really, you know, there are so many companies who still follow these traditional methodologies, right? So what do you think about that kind of scenario? If, if that fits what you're trying to do, right? If that fits your learning objective. So if, if you know, the C-suite decides that they're going to, to change the, the mission and the vision and they're going to go in a new direction and they've got 500 managers, I think sending them an e-learning module on here's the new direction we're going to go is not going to be particularly effective. You need to bring those people together, probably at least the key ones face-to-face. You need to spend some days with them. You need to answer some questions. You need to talk about the roots of your decision. So it 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 isn't the idea that digital training is replacing instructor-led or in-person training just isn't so. All we have is more tools in our toolbox because of the technology. The learning science hasn't changed, but we can, we, instead of one learning experience where, or, you know, here's a book or you can, I can sit in front of you and learn from you. Now I can learn in thousands of ways. And so we haven't eradicated one kind of learning. We've, we've supplemented it with all sorts of other learning. That's where you get back to the learning objectives. What do you want these people to know or be able to do or believe and embrace at the end? And then you decide the delivery mechanism. Yeah, for, for a creator, it becomes ultimately how creative can it be to capture the attention of the learner, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, what can give the absolute best learning experience? That's you know, for students, that's what drives achievement for the companies that we work with. That's what drives to their metrics and to their goals. That's where you can demonstrate ROI. And, and, and so, you know, that's what moves the ball. And, and that experience is, is what we're after. And it's what we have dedicated our lives to, to build. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up the ROI piece, right? And, you know, for learning and development, you know, folks, particularly, you know, it's a big dilemma, right? And I, I did see mm-hmm. that you have delivered some sessions, written some articles uh, on, you know, how ROI and uh, how, how we can actually derive from the learning experience, 
right? So what are your thoughts on that? Are there any particular key metrics that L&D professionals need to monitor? Or, you know, is there a good framework that they should be following for measuring this? It, it's a bit of a difficult framework because most people that are in learning and development have not had strong backgrounds in finance, right? They, they, and so that's a bit, of, a bit of a challenge sometimes for the learning team. And the learning teams that we work with, because they're, they're, they're highly educated in learning theory and they're often very creative, they want to build. They, they just want to build. And after they've built Engineers do this too, right? I don't know whether this product will sell. I haven't thought about the market. It's just cool. I, I think this product should exist, right? And they didn't spend any time thinking about how to market. In the, in, with our clients, we, we slow them down at the very beginning to say, we need to think about the metrics now. And there is not one set of metrics. A metric could be anything from reducing injury to increasing purchasing power to gaining market share to efficiency gains. It, it all has to do with your initial learning objectives. What is it that you want to do? And once you have determined what that is, then you have to build a number of metrics to, to be able to measure it and to be able to, it, it has to be de demonstrable. And so that's one of our biggest challenges sometimes because learning teams want to build. They want to build that experience. And we say to them, how will we know whether or not that learning experience has been successful? And it isn't just that the learner enjoyed it or you got high rankings. There, there have to be, and where there can be, uh, physical numbers. So we built a, a very, very significant for sort of a call center training for, for one of the largest retailers in the United States. And they, as a retailer, they do 70% of their business in, in Q4 of the year. And they used to bring together thousands and thousands of call center people that they would only have for a few months. And so they wanted to create this and do it virtually, digitally instead. And so we built that for them. But the fun thing there is they had gathered years worth of metrics on length of call and, you know, profitability in a phone call and sales in a phone call and, and you know, complaints and, and positive statements and so on. They had some wonderful metrics. And so we built this experience. We saved them over a half a million dollars a year in training expenses. And the metrics either matched or were improved for those who went through the new training that we built. And I have to tell you that, that that's something we're very, very proud of. It's not always that easy to do, but you, you really need to, to wrestle the ROI metrics to the ground and I would also say you need to involve the finance people because they're the ones that are going to be reviewing them. And so get their buy-in early and make sure they understand when they spend a million dollars on a learning project that they're going to see payback for that as they should. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in many cases, people just jump the gun, implement the entire process and then think mm -hmm. about the entire ROI aspect, right? So, you know, how do you deal with such a situation? Because this is a very common scenario as well. It is. That, that happens with our clients right at the start. So when we have a kickoff meeting, and honestly, if they kind of blow past the, the ROI question and the metrics, we'll keep bringing it up because it's our job to be learning experts for them. And we, we won't let that go. We'll continue okay. to bring that up and we'll have hard conversations because at the end of the day, we want to serve you well. And if we don't 
uh, have these conversations about uh, return on investment, we're, we're not serving you well. We're, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. So sometimes those those things get a little contentious, but we, we want to do the very best we can. And that means helping them right out of the box, figure out what they're going to measure. Sometimes we help them measure it. Sometimes we help them compile that data. Sometimes we help them interpret that data. And, and they find at the end, wow, we had never done that before. But now you know, we aren't just, oh yeah, there's this training division over here. We actually moved the ball. We made a difference mm -hmm. in our organization. It's, whether it's a nonprofit or a for-profit or higher ed, we, we made a difference. And, and, and when you make a difference, especially in a large corporation, strange things happen. You get more people and more funding is, is usually how that works. <laughs> yeah. So. Interesting. Then, yeah, another one I wanted to touch on is the feedback plan, right? So very essential for anybody who creates a learning content and ultimately delivery and the process and everything works out, but what's missing? I mean, what, how do you, how do you gather the feedback in a very prompt way, in a, in a way that is scalable? Yeah. And especially in large organizations, you, you mix qualitative and quantitative, right? You, you, you can, it, it's always easy to do the quantitative, right? You can send out surveys and you can ask people to take a survey at the end of their learning experience and, and you'll get a certain picture, you get a certain perspective. And then people say, well, they really liked it. Okay. But that, that's, a, that's a start. That's a place to begin. It's probably worth having a conversation with a half a dozen or a dozen of them randomly and dig into that a little bit more. What did they like? Why did they like it? And then again, if you can tie metrics back to it to say, okay, these people had this training, they enjoyed it. And again, I, I know of several examples. We had a, one of our largest clients, an enormous company, a global company. They, they, they brought together 1,200 people to talk about a new system that they were going to put in place. So they, they, they flew them in, they put them up in hotels, they spent, I think, three days mm -hmm. training everybody, and then they sent everybody home. And you know what happened when they got back? Nothing. Nothing changed. None of the metrics. It was particular to supply chain management. Mm -hmm. And so they, they, the people and, and the surveys were all impressive. They you know this was a great experience and they had a wonderful social time. They learned some things. They learned how to do some things differently, but they didn't embrace any of it. Then they came to us. And so we built a whole bunch of experiential components. We built micro learning for them that would feed them just in time when they needed it. We did animations and we did videos and we made things interactive and we built some scenarios and that moved the needle. The interesting thing is the subject matter never changed. Hmm. The delivery changed. And so, yeah, that, that makes a difference. It makes a lot of sense. All right, Jerry. So for the next section of the podcast, um, it, it's a rapid fire round. So, you know, I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions, which is not a lot about learning, but something a little bit more personal as well. So I'll go to that. Absolutely. I look forward to the lightning round. Who doesn't? <laughs> awesome. So let me start with this. What are your favorite books that you would recommend uh, to all those who are listening to the podcast now? Um. So my favorite book of all time is a book about Theodore Roosevelt, and it's called Mornings on Horseback. And it's not about his environmental work. It's not about the Panama Canal. It, it is only about his childhood and all of the incredible, incredible learning experiences that, that Teddy Roosevelt has in his childhood. His parents gave him room to learn and explore, and he was always walking around with a fish in his pocket or a frog 
or you know some animal or a snake or whatever and and he he did this experiential learning and it it created in him an insatiable curiosity to learn things the man wrote dozens and dozens of books in his life in addition to being president and it was said that he while he was president read something like one book a day and ran the United States of America. That that kind of curiosity is, is fascinating. So it, it's not on uh, three steps toward better e-learning. It, it really is getting at the aspect of, of humanity and, and how you build curiosity in the mind of someone. And, and so that that's one of my favorite books. All of my boys have read it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I mean, that's really inspiring. I mean, one book a day. I mean, I can't even imagine that. No, no. They, they would say, they say, they, they, they say in the book that when he had when he had meetings, he would read between. He had eight minutes between meetings, and he'd just have a book there, and he'd pick it up, and then he'd have a meeting and put it down, <laughs> and then in so, but a book a day. Wow, awesome! So here goes the next question: The future of L and D is constantly changing. So, what are the new technological additives to L and D that you're really rooting for? Something that you really love? Certainly, the 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 reality technologies, augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality, true games, and the growing presence of artificial intelligence. Those things are. I, I, if, if we have this conversation 10 years from now, we're going to talk about how 10 years ago it was very, very difficult to do these things. And you know, people like us and a few others are on the cutting edge of these things, but they were not common. I think in 10 years, we'll talk about, well, probably some other really cool thing that we haven't thought of yet, but those things will be so common. We'll be so used to wearables, you know, where we're, and, and, and we'll be so used to augmented reality and virtual reality and Artificial intelligence will feed us what we need when we need it. And I, I can't wait for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it should be coming pretty soon, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it's here. It's just not widely implemented yet. Yep, absolutely. All right, so the next question. So as a thought leader in the space, I'm sure uh, there are many you look up to as well, right? So who are these people? I mean, who are these thought leaders that you look up to? I've gotten to know Simon Sinek. Uh, a bit. Start with why, and, and I'm sure you're familiar with his work. Yep. It always amazes me that Simon hardly ever comes up with anything new, because there are very few things that are new under the sun. But Simon, through often the power of thought and observation, puts things in new categories, puts them together in ways that are powerful. And so looking to him, I have a, a very good friend, Bob Chapman, who's the CEO of a company called Barry Miller, which is a $3 billion company. And Bob, Bob is a fascinating person to me because he sort of rediscovered the humanity behind business. And um, that's become his mission in life, to talk about human dignity in the midst of the business world. And, and, and so I, I very much look up to him. He has a book called Everyone, Everybody Matters. And that, 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 that's a powerful book and a powerful concept to me. Perfect. And I'll come to the last question now. So this is something that we ask uh, everybody in the podcast. What is the one word or phrase that comes to your mind when I say digital transformation and adoption? Uh, the phrase would be learning experience because that is the part that does not change. We change how we deliver learning experiences. We have theory behind it. We have the creative element of, of building a learning experience. 
But no matter what the technology is, to me, that one of the bedrock principles is what kind of experience are you attempting to give the learner? So for, for me, that, that phrase w- will not change no matter how cool the technology gets. It will still be about the learner experience. Yeah, that's, that's just perfect. So thanks, Jerry. I think this, this has been an amazing conversation. I've learned a lot myself and I'm pretty sure the audience would enjoy and, you know, have a lot of questions as well. So, you know, how can they reach out to you? How can, how can they come to you and understand more from you? Yeah, they can certainly go on our website, which is uh, www.ino-versity.com or they can email me at jerry at University, I-N-N-O dash V-E-R-S-I-T-Y, Jerry at university.com. And uh, these are conversations that I very much enjoy. And, and I'm so honored that you gave me the opportunity to think through some of these things with you, Kokel. And, and I so appreciate your time. Yeah, man, I really love this. And yeah, it's been great hosting you, Jerry. Thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Yeah. So thanks to everyone listening to this podcast and uh, stay tuned to the next episode of Digital Option Show for some really great content and another incredible speaker. Mm-hmm.